Thank you so much for joining me on the Rise, Unwind, and Ungrind podcast. My name is Jesse Whitus, and I am your host. Thanks for joining me on my fourth episode. Today, I'm interviewing a friend of mine, Zach Carlson. Zach is a scientist who shows his perspective of the working world as part of the LGBTQ community. In this interview, we discuss how allies can assist with stopping microaggressions from other coworkers, how employers prioritizing team building activities can help build workplace connections that would have not normally occurred otherwise, and how sometimes we can overwork to compensate for lack of control in our personal lives. This last point is not only in relation to being in the LGBTQ community, but also as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic, which we can all relate to. Here's my interview with Zach. Zach, thank you so much for joining me on the fourth episode of the Rise, Unwind, and Ungrind podcast. Thanks for having me, Jesse. I'm excited to be here. Um, If you could just kind of tell us a little bit about yourself and what your career is and just kind of the the career path that you're going on, the education you've experienced, what your career goals are and everything along those lines. Yeah. So um, my name is Zach. Um, I use he and him pronouns. I'm a, I'm a gay man. Uh, I work as a, as a scientist. I do uh, I'm, I'm a biologist, really. So it's, you know, I do cell culture, I do biochemistry. The way that my education went was I graduated with a, a bachelor's degree in cell and molecular biology from Grand Valley State University in 2016. And I, I've had a few jobs since then. I, I worked uh, as a temp for about half a year. I worked uh, a, a few other jobs before I got to the one that I'm currently at right now, which has been by far the best experience that I've had with a job so far. That's good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> took a <Yeah>. couple tries. <laughs> yeah. It took a couple tries as it does. It, it does for a lot of people in science. I feel like it, you, you have to start with one where you're paid not very well and, and <laughs> have to do long hours and all that kind of stuff. And then you, it progressively gets better as you go through your twenties. <laughs> well, that's good to hear <laughs> for yeah. anybody that is wanting to, as listening to this, that wants to pursue a career in science, uh, just so you're prepared. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you'll, you'll probably have one job that you won't want to stay with for sure. That's, that's pretty common with everybody, but and I was going to say, I feel like whether you're in the science community or not, uh, usually the first couple, especially right out of college, is uh, kind of a doozy. Yeah. A doozy is one very euphemistic way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, um, I've been working at the position I'm currently in uh, for about a year now. The previous job that I held, I had for four years. I'm starting, I'm, I'm getting into the better part of, a, of my first decade of, of working. And I've had a lot, a lot of things that I've learned and, and realized that I still have to learn. <laughs> so it's uh, quite a process. <laughs> have you had any 
or do you have any positive or negative experiences that you have had so far in any of your positions regarding being out in the workplace? I would say that on a whole, my experiences working in any of the places I've been have been overwhelmingly positive. Um, That's good. I, yeah, I agree. I think it's, I think it's great. And I think you find that a lot in scientific disciplines too, because one of the things that's really important with science is being extremely focused on a goal and um, using the human capital that you have uh, with everyone as a team in order to reach whatever goal it is that you have. So it's really important in science to have a strong team. And I feel like that kind of goes against what maybe some people's initial ideas of science are. Like it's one person working in a lab, frantically scurrying to try to <laughs> make money and stuff like that. But it, that's not really how it is at all. It's, it's very important that you have strong teams. And the best places to work are the ones that realize that teams are very diverse going to have a lot of different people in them. Mm -hmm. So I think that the way that all of the positions I've been in have gone has allowed for self-expression in ways that you might not see in maybe jobs that are more competitive. I, you know, I, we like, for example, tattoos, piercings, things like that. That's not really an issue. And we focus on just, you know, what can we do to make a, the environment as welcoming and friendly as possible. So, you know, the, the examples that I just said are maybe a little bit more surface level. On a deeper level, at least, we could say that um, the diversity of different gender and sexual identities, um, race, cultural background, really are extremely important and kind of in inevitable too, because the types of science that we're doing are things that are studied all around the world. So we have people that we'll be regularly speaking with that are in other, other countries that learned all of the same stuff as us in a totally different context. Mm -hmm. And it's just really important to not let the differences that we have between us come in the way of doing the science. So I feel that I've been respected for being out because I think everyone has recognized that it is an extra step that we have to take as members of the LGBT plus community. We need to own our identities in whatever way is, is best for us and in my case, I took the leap of coming out at every job pretty quickly. It was never really a, a, something I wanted to keep away from other people. And mm -hmm. I'm not maybe 100% out to every coworker at my current job, for example. But the people who I regularly interact with know. Mm -hmm. And from, 
from my experiences that I've heard from you, as well as some of my other friends in the scientific community thus far, it seems like it's pretty collectivist. You know, you're all, for the most part, very focused on achieving one goal together. Whereas where I came from in the sales world, it was very individualistic. It was all about me, me, me. It wasn't really, there wasn't ever really much variety in race or gender. It was, it was very much white, straight, male dominated. And so it wasn't necessarily a place where I felt very comfortable coming out in. Yeah. Um, so I'm glad that you have had overwhelmingly positive experiences thus far. Yeah, you know, it's, it is very different, I think, with, with a scientific job where it goes back to the teamwork thing. So much of what we do involves us working with other people to meet a goal. We don't have the same type of, I guess, mode. We, we don't have the same type of project or projects or motivations that a person in sales might have because we're trying to do something as a team, even if you're working on something as an individual contributor, you're still working with other people to do that work. And ultimately everyone has a hand in maybe editing it or doing the actual lab work. And it ends up being a group effort. Mm -hmm. So in the sense that we do still rely on business and, and making sales, but it's something where multiple people are working on that particular project that's making us money. So it, it is definitely a collectivist type uh, of job that you could, that you could have. Mm -hmm. Making you money, but also helping other people as well. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's the focus. That's the, that's really honestly the most rewarding part is like, we, we want, we want to be able to have strong teams so that we're able to, to help other people meet their research goals. That's really, that's really what the company that I'm working for, uh, that's what their goal is right now is to help other pharmaceutical and um, research-based development teams to meet their goals by doing contract research. And teamwork is just such a huge part of that. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's really important that we don't allow people to get away with microaggressions and anything that could cause people to feel as though they're not an equally valued member of the team. Mm -hmm. Does your specific workplace have any type of policy against any anything like that as far as microaggressions or um, you know snide comments or anything like that that might be not inclusive of other groups of people we do have a handbook that does specifically mention that any discrimination based on race sex gender I actually, you know, I don't think that it says anything specifically about sexual and gender orientations. Mm. Um, now that actually, I would have to check, 
but they do have the the typical we won't tolerate any discrimination based off these protected categories and i think that especially because the place i work is a small company the thing about where i'm at is if these kinds of things are happening even if it's not something that's specifically written in the handbook we can deal with it mm -hmm. because it's a team of of only 10 people right now mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. if there's an issue going on like that it's very likely everyone is going to know about it because you know how small companies are one person's business is everybody's business yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's a little a little unnerving sometimes but yeah and sometimes it can be for the good sometimes for the bad <laughs> yeah i mean in the sense that if something bad is happening then it's not going to be a secret mm -hmm. so you almost can't hide from it from having to take care of it because it would be something that you're going to have to face literally all the time have you ever personally experienced or heard of any microaggressions in the workplace well i did experience something that was a little it, it was more indirect um in in my case uh, it was when i was working at my first job out of college um that one i was not as open about the fact that uh, that i'm gay with my coworkers but i was in my office space area it was one of those open um open workspace type areas and i heard two of the senior chemists uh speaking about uh, trans people and disparaging them and i was really taken aback by that i thought it was in incredibly poor taste i, I was honestly surprised because like I said, they're senior level chemists. It's not like these were people that were out of immaturity saying, well, I mean, maybe they were a bit immature, <laughs> <laughs> but not in age and just in personality. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I was just taken aback at that. And I reported that to my manager and it ended up getting taken care of very quickly. That's good. HR got involved and it, it was, it was not an issue after that. But the interesting thing was that I noticed there were quite a few people that thought I should have handled it differently than I did. Really? Yeah. You know, it was, it was kind of a situation where they didn't have the same personal connection that I have to the LGBT plus community. I, you, I, I'm a cis man myself, but I have friends that are trans. That kind of thing makes me very upset when I hear people talking about that. And frankly, I I, I don't want to stay quiet about it. If, if I hear something bad happening, I'm going to speak up about it. So mm -hmm. multiple people <laughs> that thought that I should have just talked to them directly, which I'm not on board with that idea because i think that confronting people with that type of a that type of a comment is not necessarily helpful if you don't know them very well 
Mm-hmm. And I don't really think it's your place to to really do that either, personally. It's not. And I think that it was out of those other people's misunderstanding of the situation that they thought that I should have just handled it myself. But, you know, realistically, the issue isn't how I took it. The issue is that these guys should not be saying those kind of things during work. And they were all distracted by the fact that I had reported it, which I I can understand you live and you learn, but that is an oversight on their part. The important thing is to make sure that when these types of things happen, that it's taken care of quickly and effectively, which it was. Mm -hmm. I wanted to touch back on the comment that you were saying about you were surprised that these two senior chemists happen to be saying something like that because they're more well-established in their jobs. They hold a higher position of power. Um, I feel like people can almost take advantage of that in a way. Yeah. Like I'm reflecting on a particular instance that I dealt with in my previous sales position where I was in that phase of my transition where I was starting to have some visible changes as far as my voice getting deeper and starting to grow some facial hair, but people had known me by she, her pronouns this entire time. So I was kind of, for lack of a better term, confusing people because I didn't feel that I was in, I didn't feel comfortable coming out to most people. And a store director, so the highest ranking member at one of the stores that I serviced, I ran into her one day and I was wearing, I think like dark purple pants or something that day. I usually wore like some type of dress pants or slacks and like a polo for my job. And she saw me and she was like, hey, I like your pants, sir, ma'am sir ma'am sir ma'am and (laughs) so cringy oh my god oh my god dude it was so i was just so shocked i was taken aback especially the fact that she repeated it like three or four times like this bouncing back and forth thing like that's really how you're gonna ask me what my pronouns are by doing this guessing game right in front of me. And I don't know if that was like, maybe she just didn't know how to ask and just had like a brain fart for lack of a better term, I guess. Like we all say things that we don't mean sometimes, but if it was something that was like malicious and potentially trying to make fun of me or something along those lines she was in a position where she could have gotten away with it and she did get away with it well the reality i think with that is that um if you look at her intent versus the impact her intent kind of blurs into it because regardless of what she meant by it it was still something that was hurtful to you Mm -hmm. And that's that's the thing that especially people in positions of power don't realize is regardless of what their intent is, 
the impact of what they say is the thing that people are going to judge first. And that's the thing that they need to be aware of. And they have to be thinking about how will another person receive this message? So even though she might be kind of oblivious to all of what, uh, what she's saying, what it, what it, what it might represent. Um, I, I still think it's fair to, to expect someone to acknowledge the fact that they made a mistake and the fact that she didn't just. And never did. And that, yeah, it, it, it's, it's something where in, in the case of anyone who has any power, it's not surprising to see when they abuse it. Mm-hmm. That's definitely a place of power for her. And yeah. You weren't her direct employee, but you were working with her store. And it really doesn't matter if they have people who identify that way working with them or not. That's not a way that anybody should be speaking at work, period. I ended up venting about it to a coworker of mine that was an actual employee at that store. And um, she encouraged me to go report it, but I just didn't, I didn't feel like I would have been heard. I feel like it would have caused more, more waves than anything than just kind of taking it. And I know a lot of people that have felt that way. And it's really sad that we have to even feel that way at all, that business and productivity comes over the personal welfare of other people and respecting other people, especially because in this particular position, I was a vendor company. So I was a sales representative of a certain company, company A, going to other companies and servicing their store. So, you know, wasn't actually an employee of that particular store, but basically was coworkers essentially with the other people working in that store. And we were kind of in a disadvantage in that way because the people at that store knew that they could treat us in any way, whether it's related to talking about LGBTQ language and whatnot, or just anybody in general, they knew that they could take advantage of us because at the end of the day, we needed their business. Um, So isn't that terrible? It is. Yeah. And it's kind of one of those things where like some of my friends who are, are women who have dealt with sexual harassment by somebody at their place of work, a lot of them, I, I can relate to them in that sense. Like a lot of them never report anything like that because they feel like it's not going to get taken care of or it's not going to be taken seriously. And this is really the time when we're calling on our allies to help us out. This is the time for you to step in, um, especially when we're not around. Because I did catch wind every once in a while of gossip, people talking about my transition, either not knowing what to call me, saying that they didn't approve of my lifestyle, quote unquote. And I would always say to them, I hope you spoke up 
I'm not, I'm not going to do anything as far as, you know, taking this to like a higher management and try to do something about it that way, especially because I didn't hear it myself, but I hope you said something. That's really when we need our allies to step in. If you hear somebody calling someone by the wrong pronouns, correct them. If you hear somebody saying something problematic, if you don't feel comfortable confronting them about it, this is why we have human resources and training. So do your part as well as talking about these things and sticking up for people. Yeah, it's definitely something that allies have a special, a special responsibility, I think, and really just a special ability to be able to make their voices be heard in ways that people that are members of a minority can't. I think it's interesting because we expect the person who's been oppressed to also be the one who saves themselves, which with the way that the power structure works in corporations, uh, organizations, just in general, the way that power is distributed makes it extremely difficult to get anything done when you bring it up to someone in management anyway. So you know going into trying to decide what it is that you want to do about a particular event, you just kind of end up deciding it's really not all that great of an option to go for telling a manager because then you can't even necessarily count on them to do anything about it. Yeah, like just how we talked about just because somebody's in a managerial position doesn't mean that they are equipped to deal with or or even willing, not even equipped. Maybe they're not even willing to deal with yeah. a situation like that. Bad managers are everywhere. That severely complicates the situation when you need them to be your advocates. Mm -hmm. So touching back on the topic of speaking up for people, especially those who are underrepresented, I can personally relate to that just because, and I, I touched on this in my last episode as well, that once I did transition in the workplace, I gained so much privilege and it's so crazy just seeing the world in general, but especially the working world from two different perspectives, from a binary male and female perspective. And I was always disrespected and talked over and had credit taken from me for things when, before I transitioned. And then after I did, I feel like for the most part, I gained a lot of privilege and people actually took me more seriously. And I could see through my new lens how women were still getting treated the way that I was treated before I transitioned, whether that was, you know, women were making a sales pitch or something like that, and a man interrupted them, or if a woman who was standing in the aisle walked away and then one of my male coworkers said some type of gross sexual harassment type comment to me about them. It's my duty to speak up and, and say something to them, you know, like, don't say that, or that's not appropriate, or let her speak, let them speak. 
because I know what it feels like to be in those shoes of not being respected. So I believe that it's my duty to say something in that instance when I see something like that happening. It shouldn't be happening. Well, it's interesting you say that because I think that it is it is definitely helpful when you do speak up for someone when they're obviously having a hard time speaking up for themselves. But you're but you are still in a category of people that is a minority too. So it's it's still a big ask mm-hmm. because even though you present as male, you still are vulnerable to a lot of to all of the criticism that people might say relating to gender. And it's 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 a precarious position to be in. And drain on your mental energy at that point too Mm -hmm. to have something that you're actively trying to work through while you're working it just means that you you aren't really able to fully be present in what you're trying to work on at your job Mm -hmm. that actually kind of segues into my next question for you have you ever experienced any personal struggles regarding your identity outside of work and have those struggles impacted your ability to perform at work? Definitely. At my last job, that was really one of the driving factors for why I wanted to move. Um, I was a part of the great reshuffle because I did get a new job in a uh, 2021. Mm-hmm. So I get a bit into that, <laughs> that uh, category of people, but I'd been having issues with that job for a long time, really, because I just underpaid overworked. And I don't think I had the best relationship with my work overall either, because the way that my life was when I lived uh, in my last place was I would have a lot of time that I spent alone because I'd moved to this city knowing a few people there, but not, not really being in any situations where we would cross paths unless we specifically planned for that. Mm-hmm. So I was young. I wanted to try to date. I wanted to try to meet somebody that I would be able to spend some time with, get to know in some ways to fill a void really, because I I had a lot of extra space in my life, but the woes of Tinder as a gay man, no, no bounds. <laughs> Not the first time that I've heard that. Oh God. <laughs> one of the worst things to have to, to go through. And, and, you know, that's, that could be a whole other podcast in its entirety, I'm sure, but, <laughs> oh God, but, you know, the, the struggles of trying to date as a gay man in your early twenties, there are a multitude of them. We'll just say that mm-hmm. you'd already are playing with a smaller deck. There's a smaller pool that, of people that you would even be in your realm of possibility to begin with. But then also, I think that kind of a, an interesting effect of that is the fact that because we are in a community of people that, that is very diverse, 
the wants and needs of each person for a relationship that they're looking for are very different. Mm -hmm. I found that it was very difficult to find really anyone that I was connecting with on the level that I was trying to. So it was kind of a story where I was playing a game where I just constantly had a bad hand and it's kind of impossible to completely separate your personal and professional lives. They interact with each other all the time. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very difficult. And that is a, a problem that is rampant in our society today for a multitude of reasons. A lot of it is because we just can't physically get away from work now that we have little mini computers in our pockets all the time, but also just the fact that we all have life happenings going on and some some of those things are very heavy. And sometimes it's just kind of hard to compartmentalize and focus on on one thing at a time. Well, and what happened with the way that my relationship with my personal and professional lives evolved. I found that I was really putting a lot of my energy into trying to get ahead at work. I wanted to succeed. I wanted to get promoted. I wanted to make more money. Mm -hmm. And I was doing all of this with a job that was not really cut from the cloth that I wanted it to be. So I was putting all these expectations on my job because I wanted that to be the thing that filled the void. I found that when I would make a mistake at work, which is inevitable, we make mistakes all the time. And really it is an important part of learning and it can be a very positive thing. But at the time with the types of expectations I had for myself, I found that it really injected a lot of doubt into my mind and made me actually feel a lot worse when I would make a mistake, because then I would get into kind of a, the anxious spiral where I would be thinking to myself, well, I can't find anybody in, on Tinder or just anywhere that I go to try to date. I, I'm having a hard time finding friends and I can't even do my work right. <laughs> which is obviously a a terrible oversimplification, but in the lonely mind, which is another very rampant problem for people in the LGBT plus community, Mm -hmm. it was definitely something that raised a lot of feelings of doubt of my abilities. While at the same time, I was still receiving good reviews and I was told that I was an important member of the team. So it was kind of a fundamental disconnect there where, you know, I would feel that I was, I wanted to do a good job. I wanted to be moving up in the company. I was never really getting any feedback that I wasn't doing a good job and I didn't really move up Mm -hmm. and I didn't make more money. And I ultimately just got to a point where I was frustrated and demotivated from trying to do the work. So Mm -hmm. I had things that were happening in my personal life that I couldn't reasonably ignore and really just couldn't fill the void with work either. Yeah. Using work as a a distraction is not the healthiest thing to do. 
I feel like in a way, a lot of us are feeling that way, even pre-COVID, but especially when COVID was in its its really tough stages, because for a lot of us, I know for me, work was like the only thing that we were doing. But even then it was different because if, you know, a lot of people couldn't go into their offices anymore, everything was kind of like this tip turned upside down, working from home, not being able to interact with people face-to-face like you normally could if you did. There was still some element of panic there. You know, most people were masked up and everything. And it, it just you know, you could tell everything was different. And so all we really had were holding on to these shreds of some normalcy, which was going to work every day. If you didn't lose your job or didn't have to quit for either you got laid off or you got sick for a period of time or whatever it was, but we had no other release. Yeah. I mean, I definitely spent a lot of time in the lab just because I didn't really have anything else to do. And I knew it wasn't really the best idea, but I figured, well, I've got all this time. I might as well use it for something that might be positive in the end. And that's a, that's a quick trip to burnout when, when you're not actually being given work that is going to help you to advance to the place you want to be in the first place. (laughs) Yep. Going back to what you were saying about having feelings of doubt in you, have you ever felt any type of feelings of imposter syndrome at work in relation to your identity? I would say that I've felt imposter syndrome before. And I think that the connection to my identity really is just, it's maybe not so direct. I don't feel that I'm unable to do things because of my sexuality. I don't feel that I'm limited by that. Um, And I don't doubt my abilities because of that or anything. But Mm -hmm. I do feel that when I did have a hard time in my personal life, and when that did ultimately spill over into my professional life, I had a lot of times where I was doubting my abilities just because I was in a lonely frame of mind. And I suppose that I, what the real problem is with imposter syndrome and being in the LGBT plus community is the fact that you're just at a higher risk of being lonely. And as a consequence of that, you have a higher chance of feeling that those irrational thoughts, like I don't deserve the credit that I'm being given. I don't really actually know what I'm doing. Things like Mm -hmm. that. That voice in your head. Yeah, because self-doubt is understandable. And as members of the LGBT plus community, we're at a higher risk of being lonely overall. So having doubt of your abilities and your place in your job is definitely within the realm of possibility when you're feeling lonely. And I think maybe I don't have so much of a a direct experience because of my sexuality, but I do think, I think that that's a fair 
assessment of what our community faces overall. Lonely, I mean, loneliness kills. It, that's, been, that's been shown in so many different ways. It's, it's one of the leading public health crises in the United States, and COVID's only made that worse, but it was bad even before that. So yeah, I'm, I mean, it just, as, as far as imposter syndrome goes, I think that because we're already at a higher risk of being lonely, whether it's because of a, a botched coming out experience or because of a, a relationship that we really depended on um, ending for, or for whatever reason, we're in a precarious position that other cis hetero people are not. Absolutely. Yeah, th- those, are, those are all really great points. Um, so what steps do you think a company should take to make strides towards a more inclusive workplace for the LGBTQ community? I really think that it's important for any workplace to have a good sense of community amongst everyone who works there. I don't think that employers necessarily realize this from the get-go that the people that work for them may be having a really hard time finding other people to connect with. They might've moved to the area and they're not really sure what types of things that there are to do. And everybody's really busy and it's, it's hard to meet people as an adult. It's, it's just like, it, it becomes much more difficult after you leave college and (laughs) where you could just go over to your, you could just go over to your friend's apartment and study and have a drink or whatever. And then would check that social box off. But, you know, as an adult, it's, it's so different from that. And so I think that uh, a good thing for workplaces to understand is that we need to work on doing things outside of work, planning activities, planning things where you can connect with your coworkers, even just planning the work that you do at work to be done with someone else so that you're spending time around other people. I think that's really important. Mm-hmm. Of course, it is important to be flexible and to allow for people who are more introverted to be able to work in environments where they're comfortable and people who are extroverted to be around people and to get the energy that they need in order to do their work. But I think that providing options of things, even just like, you know, doing a team lunch or something like that, periodically it's a good thing to feel like you're connected with other people. We're taking a day off. That's not actually a day off. It's a, it's a day of work, but you use it to do, go do something in the community, like volunteer or something like that. Like a lot of workplaces are, or more and more workplaces are implementing um, programs like that, where going out in the community and doing something as a group that way and getting to know each other more that way. And also, just being altruistic, you know, like you, you know, that you're banding together with a group of people and you're going and helping another group of people. And you're also getting to know each other better that way as well. Yeah. That was one of the things that I actually really liked about the job that I had before was the fact that we had eight hours 
per fiscal year of volunteer time off where we could actually just take a day and we could do a volunteer project. Um, I think having some time where everyone comes together and does works for some some common purpose. I think I think that's really essential for team building. And you know, if I'm honest, like I, I think a lot of places don't realize how important that really is, because it shouldn't just be about productivity and work 100% of the time. It should also be about making sure that you build a strong team. And that doesn't necessarily happen during work hours. No, or, or they don't. A lot of places don't really create a space for that to be a thing. You know, it's like when, when you're here, you're working, you know, and like, like get back to work. So there's only so many ways that you can truly connect to somebody in a setting like that. Yeah. And I think that it is important that we take, take chances and um, give ourselves the opportunity to meet new people. And that does require a bit of effort on our parts, but there are a lot of times where that effort doesn't end up amounting in creating more relationships. And it's really important that you have at least a few people around you that they care about you, that know you. And I think that some of that that hard work could be done by an employer to make sure that the people that you're around for a huge amount of your life, because work is just one of the biggest things that takes up your time in life besides sleeping, which is <laughs> by far a much more enjoyable experience. <laughs> I can agree. If, if we're going to spend 40 plus hours at work every week, we should be able to enjoy it at least somewhere as much as what we would if we were sleeping. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it allows for a, a mix of people, you know, and, and getting to know different people. And because I have heard more than once of some of my colleagues coming up to me or like friends of friends, and they were actually really vulnerable with me and said, I just wanted to let you know, you kind of changed my mind about some things. I had some not so healthy opinions and thoughts and assumptions about the transgender community before I met somebody like you. And you really opened my mind. And hearing that, it's really rewarding to hear that. And it shows just how much more that is why we need to advocate for diverse groups of people in the workplace because in a lot of other instances, you know, we're, we're creatures of habits and a lot of people tend to focus and hang out with and correspond with other like-minded people. So mixing things up a little bit and actually meeting some people that and getting to know them and interact with them that you wouldn't have otherwise can actually be very beneficial. And I've seen it firsthand. I actually really appreciated when people came up and told me that and were vulnerable with me about that, because that, that shows a lot of self-accountability. 
Yeah. And I think that right now there is more visibility than ever. And this is kind of the first time that a lot of places are having to face the fact that there is just a lot more diversity overall in the workplace, not only because we're so, we're so globalized, but also because there are things that are happening that are allowing for people to be more authentic with their self-expression. We really do, in some ways, we, we need good allies on one hand, but we need to make sure that we're putting the information that we're learning about people into practice. Because like you said, I mean, it, it was very meaningful to you to have people change their minds, their hearts and minds, because they met someone and it wasn't just a concept anymore. It was actually a person in their lives. I think we need to have a way of starting that conversation with people that we work with. Mm -hmm. Well, this was, this was a good conversation. I really enjoyed getting to hear your viewpoint and your perspective and experiences on things. I hope that this will spark people to, to have more conversations about this, especially for our allies to get in on the conversation. And hopefully we can just only go up from here as far as helping the, the workplace be more diverse and more inclusive and having people in underrepresented communities, especially the LGBTQ community, feel more respected and welcomed at work. Yeah, I think that is a mission that I, I definitely hope to spearhead in, in whatever ways that I can, because I think some of the most important allies that we have are the ones who are actually in the community too. Mm -hmm. So it, you know, I, I want to, I want to just do whatever I can in my small way to make sure that people who I work with, um, both now and in, who come into, into any place that I've worked after me, have it a little easier than what I might have had it. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to the podcast. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Rise Unwind Ungride Podcast. You can send me a message on any of these platforms or email me at riseunwindungrind at gmail.com. As with any special project, there are costs of time and money associated with making this podcast. If it is within your financial means to do so, please consider making a donation on patreon.com. Any donation, whether small or large, is appreciated all the same. The best way to help this podcast is by spreading it by word of mouth. If you find any of the episodes interesting or helpful, the best way is to tell your friends about it and share it on social media. Special thanks to my friends for supporting this endeavor and for Kimberly Eddy with Thoughts and Designs web design for the graphics and Avery Black from Routine Fuss for the intro music. Your support in this endeavor is greatly appreciated. I am sending you peace, healing energy, and good vibes your way. Please remember to prioritize your health and your energy. Thanks again for joining me, and I'll see you next time.